Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast. It can only mean one thing. It is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is out this uh, year, I guess. And now we have our amazing step-in, fill-in co-host, which is uh, Cynthia Ko. Cynthia, welcome back. Hi there. We had a great time last week. I'm so glad you're joining us. Um, next week, I'm really thrilled because we get to tell your story. I'm really th- excited about that. I get to be in the hot seat, I guess. You get to be in the hot seat. This week, uh, folks, if you are unfamiliar, welcome to the program. Every week, we get to chat with amazing folks, just like Cynthia, who have one extra thing on their resume, and that's service to our country. And this week, I am really excited because we have a first-time guest, which we've been doing sort of repeat guests for a while. But this is this week, we get a, a first-time guest, and that's Rob Viglione from Horizon Labs. Sir, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely thrilled. Hey, Rob, tell me a little bit about your military um, experience and your transition into the civilian world. Sure. My, uh, so I was an Air Force officer. I did the ROTC thing back in college, um, got out when I graduated. I joined active duty Air Force and had my first assignment was probably the, the best assignment for a young physicist mathematician in the Air Force. And that was with Air Force Space Command out in Los Angeles. Nice. Would that be now Space Force if, if you were in still in? It it would be. It sure would be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we used to joke about that back in the day that it, it would break off eventually and be a Space Force. And look, look where we are today. Oh, and behold. Uh, so uh, what did you do when you were in, in the Air Force? So I was uh, a physicist and uh, my, my, my first job was actually working with a space radar project. And I was as a uh, brand new butter bar. I was doing just very basic analysis for satellite orbitology patterns to see where a uh, big satellite program that we were building, it, what kind of coverage we would get around the world. Uh, then I moved into software project management, actually. And that was actually a huge lead into what I'm doing right now with uh, some blockchain stuff. I love it. Uh, so when you got out of the Air Force, was this was Horizon Labs the first thing you jumped into? Or did you have other things you transitioned into? Yeah, not at all. Uh, so what I did originally was I, I switched from active duty the Air Force to contracting with the Air Force. And then that migrated into uh, contracting for the Army and uh, deploying overseas for a couple of years to Afghanistan uh, with the Army, uh, originally on a counter IED mission, but as a data scientist. So um, positioned in various FOBs and, and different spots over there, uh, working with different parts of the military. Um, Probably so that it kicked off embedded with the army or with the army, but embedded with the Marine Corps at Camp Leatherneck. Um, so worked with an RCT seven over there, the regimental combat team, and then that moved into Army Cav. Then that ultimately landed me with uh, CJ Sotof Alpha, so the Combined Special Operations Task Force, um, and that was my my two year tour. And then from there, I had been uh, so a big part of my story is I was dabbling in Bitcoin early on. Uh, while I was deployed, and it afforded me the opportunity to uh, basically take a little bit of a break from that career, go back to academia uh, for my PhD, and 
from there, I started teaching Bitcoin and blockchain applications and finance. My PhD is in finance. And um, finally, ended up launching uh, what is today Horizon and Horizon Labs. How did you find your transition period? Was it pretty difficult for you? Well, I, I had an easy transition, I would say, because my when I first got out of active duty, I went right into the contractor world mm-hmm. and it kept on working with Air Force. So it was a very comfortable transition. I'd say a very good one. So the military prepared us or you know, my, my exiting cohort, uh, I, I would say quite well for civilian life. And I think the transition went very well. I was wondering, at what point did you decide to break off and go into um, entrepreneurship? Uh, you know, entrepreneurship, I actually didn't even mean to go into entrepreneurship. It just kind of happened. Um, so it, it, what, what is now Horizon Labs and, and the public blockchain project Horizon actually came about as, as a bit of an academic experiment that took off, I guess, right time, right place. Uh, and it, it really wasn't meant to be. I was actually going to be a professor and that uh, it branched off into this project. So what do you think prepared you? Uh, within the military for this new journey you're going through, which is this entrepreneurial journey. What do you you think helped shape that? Well, I would say I would hire veterans in a heartbeat. Definitely at least get to the CDs to the front of the list because what the military prepares you to do really well is leadership and grit. Probably the two biggest qualities that I look for out of people that we hire. Uh, And it's worked out really well for us in the sense that uh, I would say half of our leadership team are veterans. And uh, in our industry, at least, it's ridiculously volatile. We get our butts kicked all the time. And being able to get your butt kicked but get right back into the fight is huge. Um, So that's something that I think the military prepares you well for just culturally. And then also the ability to lead people in a way where, um, you know, it's different from just pure business. It's not like, you know, our our leadership team is just graduated from business schools and take take positions in the company. Leading, leading in the military is something I think is different, distinct, but extremely useful um, compared to leading in business. And by that, I mean taking care of your people and making sure that you put yourself in front of the line when it comes to you know, hardship. And then making sure that you know, just at, at the end of the day, you're doing what's right for the company. You have strong ethics, morals. Uh, you don't need to micromanage people. You know that they're going to do the right thing, you know, even when no one's looking. I want to peel back the layers a little bit on this project because... You mentioned that the project eventually ended up being Horizon Labs, but talk a little bit about the start of this project. Like, why, why this problem? Why, why blockchain as as something to land your plane on? Pun totally intended, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and by the way, as an Air Force officer, I've never flown a plane. <laughs> so, as a, uh, as, a, as an right. agent, I've never built a boat. So right <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so it 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 came about of um, you, Horizon itself was meant to solve some problems that we saw in Bitcoin. Uh, And Bitcoin itself, I think, is a fantastic experiment that has just exploded in in the early days. No one had any idea that it it would be where it is today. Um, But a couple of things that could be done better and not to knock Bitcoin because it is doing absolutely fantastic today. But there are some things like on the, the scalability side and on the privacy side that we thought could be you know, could be implemented a little bit differently. And on the scalability side, I mean that um, what Bitcoin is for, you know, the, the, a regular audience, and, and I do have to calibrate this. So if I'm saying something that maybe we need to dig, dig a little bit deeper into, please let me know. But yeah, it, dig, it's, dig uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, 
<laughs> Bitcoin, people think of Bitcoin as, as just a, like a digital money, which right. is the, really the application. But under the hood, it's a replicated peer-to-peer -peer database. And it's just a database that tracks who owns what, like who owns what piece of what Bitcoin and making sure that when people transfer it to, you know, to each other, it's done, you know, say, according to the rules of the game. So legally transferred. That's all it is. So replicated database, every peer is a node in the database and everyone can check that every, every transaction that everyone does is valid. Um, what it doesn't do very well is scale outside of just the money transfer domain. And that's why you don't see a lot of other applications on, built on Bitcoin. And you see other types of public blockchains, like Ethereum is just another example that's popular, that do other types of things like smart contracts and other types of business logic. Um, and why you would even want to do something on a, a blockchain. And in the first place, it's, there, there are many interesting things to do where you want to prove to the world that what you've done is actually valid. It conforms to some rules. And that, that's really what blockchain gets you is because it's a replicated database where everyone in the world gets to run it and no one can censor anything from anyone else. There are some types of applications and just some, some kind of regular examples that we'd like to give are say like a land registry in a, in a country where property rights aren't aren't respected very much, or maybe the bureaucracy in the country isn't very good at keeping track of who owns what. Um, that's an, an example of where blockchain would be great. You could register, you know, tag and register any type of property, publish it to the world, and no one could ever change that record unless they play by the rules of the game. So th that's where, where blockchain comes in and, and we, we took it to a different level with, with data privacy um, you know, with Horizon. I'm interested to find out um, what got you passionate about blockchain technology? I mean, you were a physicist. Like, how did you get, how did you choose this particular avenue in the tech industry? It came about from my, I, I'm a big libertarian personally. So I'm a big believer in freedom. And I, I think this also links back to why I joined the military, because I really believe that, you know, the, the mission of, of the U.S. military has always been to fight for uh, freedom, liberty around the world. So th this is really the, an extension of that into the digital domain is, is giving people property rights and extending you know, people's freedoms around the world to participate in, in a peer-to-peer -peer economy that you know, people just can't arbitrarily keep them from. So that's what drew me to Bitcoin was the fact or, or the idea of um, creating, say, a new financial system from the ground up that's peer-to-peer -peer instead of top-down driven, uh, one that could really at least my, in my idealistic conception or conception of it was to, to bring, bring rights to people where they may not have them around the world. Um, and that, that's the basis for me getting to the industry and what, kind of what we try to do with Horizon, actually. That's really interesting. So talk a little bit more about the use cases, because when we talk about blockchain or, or, or just Bitcoin in general, you're talking about a protocol of blockchain and there's so many different use cases for blockchain mm -hmm. itself right well, tell me a little bit more about you know break it down what are some other use cases that people would be surprised that they're not thinking about right now right so anything with a, a type of um, property registry is fair game you, you know I, I mentioned land registry that's one thing but in, in particular what's really effective are digital registries so if you want to have as an example like a, a loyalty program and you want to prove that the loyalty program you know all the tokens in your loyalty program aren't all the points that you're giving to customers uh, are actually valid you know, secure and people own the, the tokens um, rightfully own them, they're not stolen uh, or so forth. That's one example. We have use cases in you know, everything from um, digital invoicing, actually. And, and I'll, I'll give you a little example of how our technology comes in with Horizon is we've pioneered uh, a, um, a new class of cryptography called zero knowledge cryptography. 
that extends more privacy to users for data. So for instance, we're, we're working with a client to publish a whole bunch of digital invoices to a blockchain. Uh, in a way where small vendors in a Latin American country, so like a small to medium-sized business in um, in uh, Latin America, they would never have any opportunity to really get financing from, say, a Wall Street like hedge fund, would now be able to prove digitally, look at our invoicing history over the last 10 years. We've never missed an invoice. We're very, very good credit quality. And now we want to raise $10,000 of equity capital to expand, say, like our restaurant business into a franchise. Uh, that's one example of what we're doing right now. Uh, another example, like digital property, is um, in gaming. So, getting like, um, say, like your magic sword for your favorite game, you want to actually, so you buy a magic sword that you, you use in one game, you want to transport it over to another game, or maybe you want to sell it, or maybe you're uh, a designer of magic swords for video games. Uh, we're actually working with a, a well known gaming company to do this type of like 3D asset registry and auction environment on a blockchain. Wow. Um, so, yeah, those are just a few examples. We're starting. I have to say, I have Sorry. to say, I'm pretty uh, ashamed that my daughter knows more about Bitcoin than I do, and that's because she's in the gaming industry. Right. Uh, you know, and and how do you educate people who might be interested in this and just don't know enough? I'll tell you, that's our biggest challenge. What we've done, just our little contribution to the the social good in our industry, is we built an academy. Uh, this you know, free for anyone to come use. It, it's. Um, you know, academy.horizon.io. And it's just a, really a blockchain 101 where you can learn about blockchain and learn about Bitcoin, obviously learn about Horizon, learn about the different tools for how to participate in the industry, like how to set up a wallet, how to safely secure your private keys on your wallet. Uh, and then it goes into more advanced topics like uh, different types of cryptography that we use and so forth. But it, it is tough. And actually, uh, um, Cynthia, that's the biggest challenge is actually educating people because there's a huge learning curve. But once we get over that learning curve, there's also a huge um, opportunity for a new marketplace. Yeah. So I, I find that like some of the younger folks that are um, using it, you know, for example, in gaming, um, you know, it, it's become very second nature for them to figure it out. But um, talking about safety and security, are there any platforms that like people should be wary of? Or like, do you have to do your homework to make sure that it's a secure environment? Or is um, is it going to be is one piece of technology just because you're using blockchain is going to be equal throughout, um, you know, just speaking as a, a layperson? Yeah, definitely not equal throughout. And everyone should always do their homework. Uh, the cardinal rule of blockchain is never give anyone your private keys. So you, you'll learn like um, what we've done done here. We've we've basically made money uh, or value transfer peer to peer. And what that means is you have responsibility completely for your money, your assets, and the way that you control your assets is through what's called a private key, like an asymmetric public key and private key pair is issued and your public key is what you can tell the world. Your public key, just like the name suggests, is you know, it's like your address. You can have people send money, send resources to your public key. You would never want to give them your private key because your private key unlocks or gives access to you know, basically all of your money. Um, so that's probably the biggest rule to keep in mind is never give anyone your private key. Okay. I'm seeing more and more of the federal government getting into Bitcoin. We saw you know, the feds are now starting to buy up Bitcoin. Do you think that's just where it's headed that that now that the government is sort of taking this seriously whereas before it was sort of this not really a threat to the currency but just sort of this thing that they didn't take very seriously do you think that's a signal now that more people can look at bitcoin as this viable option now that the government's starting to look at it absolutely i would say 100 percent. you're exactly right on that and 
What I think the industry needs more of is more regulatory clarity, um, because that's probably our biggest risk as an industry is because everything's so new and we are butting up against what, you know, um, certain types of financial and banking industries that have been heavily regulated in the past. We just need clarity. So there, there are many entrepreneurs in our industry that want to do the right thing. And we're just waiting for regulators to tell us exactly how to participate. But in the meantime, we're, we're not really waiting for, for the rules to be written. We're going out there and doing what we think is the right thing. And what's, what's happening as an industry is we're maturing pretty fast where we have a lot of law firms, we have a lot of institutions entering the space now, and we're sort of forging, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm probably gonna be grilled by our GC for saying this, but we're forging in a way kind of um, sets of standards and what would probably be considered like, a, a, you know, common rules and common ways of doing business that seem like they're, they're the way to go in the sense that we have institutions that if you're new if you're new to bitcoin and you're new to cryptocurrencies i don't suggest you go and just put all of your money into it that would be insane right what i do suggest to do is go to um, some of the regulated exchanges some regulated products for instance um, so zen is our cryptocurrency ticker symbol z-e-n and it's, it's the the currency of our blockchain network and we have um, a regulated New York institution called Grayscale that sets up regulated trust for investors to get into it. They do this for Bitcoin. They do it for all of the major projects. This is the way that I suggest that people that are new to it come in because you want that kind of clarity. You want that um, safety that comes with it rather than, you know, I will say for better and worse, the industry is really a wild west right now. And you want to come in with trusted parties. And, and this is very antithetical to many, many, um, you know, crypto people will be listening to this and, and, you know, crucify me for saying trusted parties because we're all about decentralizing things. But the reality is uh, most mainstream people are going to want people, institutions that they can trust as their first point of contact. We're going to go back to the Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrency piece because I'm we could spend multiple hours on this, but I really want to dive into Horizon and break down for us what Horizon does as a platform, as a service for technology providers. So Horizon does two things really well. One is on the infrastructure side, where we're aiming to be is really an infrastructure provider for the blockchain industry. So we have built out in the meantime, we're kind of like an AWS for blockchain in the sense that we have over 40,000 servers around the world uh, or nodes or peers on our network that other companies, other you know, people that want to launch blockchains can take our technology and actually build on our infrastructure. So that's, that's kind of, you know, layer layer zero call it. We're kind of like a infrastructure provider that you can you come in and build your blockchain applications on. The other is on the privacy side. So we do privacy technology really well. And the premise here is um, blockchain, which is a public network, is not going to be able to carve up, carve out a significant amount of economic value if people like businesses have to put all of their private information on a public ledger. It's just not going to happen. So what we do with it with our technology is we we allow people to you know, put information on a public blockchain, but still retain privacy of that information, which is critical in places like the European Union, where you have regulations like GDPR, which are very privacy centric on the data side. So we're actually huge data privacy advocates, and we're building out a very large and massively scalable just blockchain infrastructure that people can use to now start putting their peer-to-peer applications on, on our network. I love it. We've been talking to Rob Viglione of Horizon Labs. We're going to take a quick break on the Veteran Founder Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick break. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. 
Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. We've been talking to Rob Viglione of Horizon Labs. Rob, you just started to explain a little bit about Horizon and Horizon Labs. I want to dig in a little bit deeper here about the business itself, how it got started, and then also your growth trajectory. Like, How did you find customers and how did you grow the company? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So there is a bit of a distinction here. So what I've been talking about so far is Horizon, the public blockchain. Think of it as like, uh, you know, like, a, like a, the blockchain is equivalent of like the internet. Now, what, what I'm the CEO of is Horizon Labs, which is now a software company that's building on this, you know, th- this open network. The business model for Horizon Labs actually is, is um, I, I noticed you have a bit of, you have a Twilio background or a background with Twilio. I do. And our, our business model is like Twilio meets Red Hat in the sense that we build APIs and SDKs. Okay. It, developers can grab our SDK and plug into our APIs and deploy their own blockchains, deploy their own applications. And our business model is really a microtransaction model from that. Um, so skills skills uh, with, with uh, transaction volume on our network. And, and that's really the core of our revenue model. The other one is on actually helping businesses, helping individuals set up their own blockchains and taking um, you know, part of you know, deploying our product with them and, and getting revenue that way. That makes, now that you put it that way and knowing the context of how Twilio grew, like it makes a ton of sense now. So, so when you're, especially the Academy piece, right? Cause Twilio has done such a great job of putting together documentation and, and education. So was that when you were defining who your customer persona was going to be, how did you outline that out and how did you go find them? The first wave of our, our BD efforts, business development efforts, are on actually servicing our industry. So we, we want to be the boring picks and shovels infrastructure guys behind the scenes and enable all of those fun, sexy blockchain projects to build, build with us, uh, build on our network. So actually, the first wave of clients that we have are, are actually other blockchain companies or other, other uh, you know, crypto industry companies that want to actually build on more robust infrastructure. So that's an easy sell for us because they see our technology and it's just very comparable. It's a different um, different beast entirely than trying to educate a non-blockchain company on the values of blockchain. We do that as well, but that's, you know, say like our next layer of BD effort. Nice. And then when you're talking about growing the business, what how do you define, you know, the, the, your customer and go out and look for them and, and your sales cycle? Like how how challenging has that been? Because you know, you just outlined something that's fairly new to folks. There's not a robust economy or ecosystem that exists uh, that you know people are really widely aware of the development in the in the cryptocurrency or blockchain ecosystem. How do you identify and grow the business that way when it's such a niche, narrow, you know, ecosystem? 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is niche and narrow, but I would say it's a very much a blue ocean strategy in the sense that we're very, we're in the very early days, and it's a huge competitive open environment out there. And actually, a lot of um, you, despite the industry not being very well known mainstream, there's still a ton of capital flowing in. So it's something like a four hundred billion dollar industry right now, which from an industry's perspective is still tiny, but it's exploding. So it went from zero to four hundred billion dollars and. In about ten years, uh, and it just looks like it's growing, you know, um, rapidly from here. So what we're doing is we're we're focusing on some of the the large, fastest growing businesses within our industry as just like our our uh, first tier clients, and then we're going from there like to those that are. Um, you know, maybe not growing as fast, but we think have ma massive potential. And what I will say is it's been a, a, a lot of trial and error for us and we've pivoted a lot already. So we've only been around for three years and I feel like we've been around for 30 years because we've gone through three bull and bear market cycles in our industry. So it's insanely volatile marketplace to be in. And in this environment, we've had to figure out how to uh, plan resources. So we, we work on something like a three to five year strategic planning horizon with annual programming of you know uh, um, projects and how we're accomplishing what we're doing, product cycles. And it's been really tough when, as an example, last uh, or two years ago, we had our budget uh, crashed 80% or 80 to 90% because revenues just completely dried up in our industry in a bear market cycle. And we've had to adapt and just constantly pivot to what we think is gonna work really well. And over the last few years, we've built out this product that just, it deploys, it's an SDK product. So it's one that can scale massively because people can take it and deploy it themselves. And we earn revenue as they're doing well. So our, our model really is to help people do well. So help them deploy the product, first of all, make, make sure it's a very successful deployment, but then also turn our uh, you know, fairly large and robust community that we're built of you know, something like a million people in our community to actually supporting the products that choose to build in our ecosystem. So it, it, it's been a wild ride and we're still learning as we go. And I wanted to ask you, what are some major lessons learned that um, you have in the back of your mind to tell other young, younger entrepreneurs or, you know, startup founders, um, something that you, if you made a mistake or um, what you wouldn't want to do over again? So don't always chase the shiny objects out there. And when things are, when you're in a very hot industry that looks like it's exploding, um, things get really exciting. And it's very tempting to just charge right into what seems to be the most popular item right now. But I think it's really important to temper that with a solid, you know, longer term strategy and make sure that you're not ping ponging all over the place. The second thing I would say is, and this is sort of cliche in business, but your, your organization's culture really matters mm -hmm. and you have to hold people accountable. So same thing in the military. And you know what, what I like to distinguish between um, values and virtues. Values are things that we want, we think about, but virtues are things that you do in your actions. And it's really important to make sure that you're, you're, everyone in your organization adheres to the same values, but it's all marching towards the same beat in the virtues and the things that you're actually working on and accomplishing. And you have to hold your people accountable and accountability starts with you know, the CEO or the, the leaders in the organization. Uh, but these are all things that you learn, I, I think, very clearly in the military. Mm -hmm. um, so these have been some of my lessons over the last few years. Yeah. How do you um, build up your team? You know, everybody's working on their own thing and sometimes you can have your head down. How do you ensure that your team is um, meshing? And even harder for us because we're a distributed team. We have one office in Milan, Italy, actually. We, we were in process of building an office in Austin, Texas, um, but then COVID hit and we had to slow our plans down. And now we have one office with a team of engineers in Italy and the rest of us are all remote. 
working with each other. So that's been really tough. And recruiting in that kind of environment is challenging as well. So recruiting in our Italian office, I think it, it, we have we have the process down because we have you know recruiting firm, we have HR, and, and we have a team on the ground that can interview, and we see if people mesh pretty quickly with our culture. But when you're hiring remote workers, it's more difficult. Um, and what we've relied on is just our personal network. So really, our, our first preference for hiring are people that we've, you know, uh, not just me, but obviously the other leaders in the organization uh, have built up professional, uh, you know, their own professional networks. And we leverage that to the extent that we can. Mm -hmm. And from there, we're just open to hire anyone with the skill and the motivation to join the organization. But, you know, like the the other, sorry, I'm kind of a, a wealth of cliches today, but the whole hire, um, hire slow, fire fast is something that we try to keep in mind. And we didn't originally. So we probably jumped in and hired too many people originally. And then when, you know, a volatile market cycle happened, we had to trim pretty fast. And we didn't trim fast enough, actually. Mm. We, we stayed in the red for too long. What I recommend to people is you have to um, balance this. It's a tight balancing act to know when to let people go versus trying to weather a storm and keep your team intact. And the hardest thing we've had to do is let go of really good people. But sometimes the, the market tells you what you have to do and you can't fight reality for too long. Right. I was going to say right now, the market, you know, are you have you been able to weather the storm with the pandemic and bounce back or is it still pretty tough for you? It's tough. It's very challenging. And in, 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 in this tightrope walking that we're doing, we're actually hiring and letting people go. And this is in the sense of trying to, we're always looking for what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's not working? Or we can't tell that it's working. And maybe it doesn't make sense to continue. Um, so we always have to think, what are we going to divest ourselves operationally from doing? Because we churn out an enormous volume of work as an organization. But I can tell you, it's not all all value add in the sense that the market cares, you know, apparently, because the market's not rewarding us for certain things. So we're trying to be fairly nimble with um, changing and modifying, just optimizing as we go. So we're hiring more engineers and hiring more product people and letting go of you know other non-core functions that just don't look like they're working. I want to dig back into the cryptocurrency piece of it. You guys have your own cryptocurrency, um, and it seems like there's cryptocurrencies for, for various different things. What do you think it's going to take for mainstream to take cryptocurrency seriously? And, and, and sort of follow up to that, when we do get a point, get to a point where the mainstream is really taking it seriously, what does that look like? Yeah, I think it's just going to be time. So yeah. I, I, I could say uh, all sorts of things like our products have to be better because as an industry, our products suck. Um, just to be honest, because our products have been built by engineers for engineers, and that's not going to cut it for you know a consumer marketplace. So products have to improve for sure. We have to do a better job of security. Um, and just a simple example is some of the worst um, governments around the world make a living. Like North Korea is notorious for making a living by um, hacking into cryptocurrency exchanges and stealing cryptocurrency. Uh, this is unacceptable. And if we have instances like this, it's just not going to instill the confidence that we need as an industry that what's going on is legit and you know, go ahead and park your money with an exchange uh, and then have it hacked and the North Koreans have it. So yeah. um, we, we have to mature for sure. But what I would say ultimately, it's just gonna be time. So. The kids today, maybe even college students today, or maybe high school students, I don't know what, what cohort we want to talk about, but there will be a cohort that grows up and doesn't know anything but cryptocurrency. Um, and just anecdotally, one of my friends uh, was telling me he learned about our project, actually, because his son, who is, I think, maybe 10 years old at the time, 
told him about it. Him and his friends had Zen and they were trading Zen and, and using Zen. And he, then he, he started looking in, what is the Zen thing? And he heard about it just from kids playing with it. And I can tell you, his, his kids, uh, he told me the story of his kids asked him, like, why, why do you still have a bank account? It just doesn't make sense to us. Why are you giving you know, your, your money to a bank to hold on to when you could just have it yourself and you could send it to anyone in the world with a click of a button? versus trying to do a wire transfer for 30 bucks and you wait a day to have it happen. So I think kids are just going to get it and mm -hmm. there will be this cohort that grows up and doesn't know anything else. That's interesting. I, I didn't even think about that. I mean, it's true. I, I went out and uh, tried, I, you know, anecdotally, another anecdotal story. I bought a boat yesterday of all things and it was an inexpensive little project boat, but I asked the guy, do you do Venmo or PayPal? He's like, no, I don't do anything. So I literally this morning had to drive to a bank and get paper cash. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm in my mid forties and that still seemed pretty archaic to me. Right. Yeah. Like, why am I going to a teller to put in my card and fill out a little piece of paper that says, please give me some of my money. Right. It just seems so foreign, even to me. It, it was not. So actually, uh, two months ago, I, I live in Puerto Rico and two months ago, um, you know, I, I, I was told by our bank that they didn't have, so our business account, so Horizon Labs business checking account, I was, I was informed that somehow they don't have our signature card on the file. I, I don't even know what a signature card is and what, why you need a piece of paper that, with, <laughs> yeah. with a signature. There are other ways, like I, I use DocuSign all the time. They told me they, they, they're locking our account and I would have to come into a branch to sign a oh, piece wow. of paper to unlock the account. And I told them, I live in Puerto Rico, you don't have any branches here. I don't want to fly to Florida during COVID to go sign a piece of paper. There has to be another way around this. Uh, and finally, we figured it out literally after a month of the account locked. It was just insane. I, yeah. I had I was going to travel the next day. I had my airfare and hotel oh, booked to sign a piece of paper. But this is 19, what, 50s, 60s technology. Uh, we can do better. And, and that's mm -hmm. what crypto does. Irony, thy name is the bank. <laughs> uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about uh let's let's dive into the future horizon labs horizon itself what, what do you where do you see this going in the next five to ten years i mean we talked about where, where the in the industry itself but where do you want your company to be in five to ten years i'll tell you one big problem that we're working on implicitly for now it's kind of a big rallying call but it's not exactly where we're going right now in the next say three to five years but beyond that this is where we want to go is there's a multi-trillion dollar opportunity in in data and the sense that data now over the last decade actually has real value and the value for data is increasing exponentially and this is how companies like facebook twitter and, and other social platforms earn a massive amount of profit is by harvesting your data and mainly to train machine learning algorithms. There's a huge amount of user-generated data. You essentially give these platforms for free by or in exchange for using the free platform, right? Um, now the economics of this are changing in the sense that data, because in the advent of machine learning and the data is actually used for real economic purpose, has real value and people are just giving it away without even realizing it um, and actually trading their privacy for it. Um, what we're doing, if we do what we're trying to do right, is we're flipping that business model upside down and we're giving users control completely of their own data. Remember I mentioned this whole thing of private keys with right. controlling your own money. Well, imagine controlling your own data with private keys and having a, like a marketplace to say like companies actually bidding for your data and you can you can sell it to them. Imagine that if you, it, and if we do this really well, we'll have an application that just kind of automatically you know, rotates through this marketplace to optimize your income for you based on data that you generate on, you know, it, 
a platform or an open ecosystem of these decentralized applications where you control the data and you can harvest it yourself. And ultimately, if we, if we really, really do this right, uh, we can help people generate real incomes just by using platforms in our ecosystem versus using um, platforms in the current um, you know, big tech environment. As you mentioned, it's, it just feels like right now it's such the it's so much the wild west that I can't, I can't wait till things start to shake out and make sense, right? Like, like <laughs> me too. So me too. much to pay attention to, right? But I, I I love the direction you're headed to. I love the way you're thinking about the business and the comment you made about culture being so important uh, made sense, right? When we when we started uh, when I was part of Twilio in those early days, the nine things were such an important piece of it, and I think really led to the growth. So so kudos to you. Where can people find you online? So Horizon.io is our main website. It's really a one-stop shop for any everything Horizon. If you want to just reach out to me, I mean, I'm on my social, probably the, the social that I use the most is Twitter. So Rob Viglione or at Rob Viglione on Twitter. Um, and otherwise, really just happy to talk to anyone about any of this stuff, hopefully clarify, shed any insights that I can, and, and particularly for any veterans. I mean, we're always looking to hire good people and you know, really veterans, like I said, get to the top of the queue for me. Love it. One, la- one last question I have for hiring vets. You know, what would you recommend for veterans wanting to go into um, this type of industry? Yeah, so that's it's an excellent question. And there are so many facets of our industry. So I think when, when a lot of people think about cryptocurrency, they think about blockchain, they think engineering. And if you're a software engineer, obviously, that, that, that's a wonderful starting point, And there are so many opportunities for you. Um, and, and there's so many resources that we can talk about to point software engineers to the right place. But the point that I want to make is uh, we're building brand new ecosystems, really like these peer-to-peer economies. And, and, and every economy needs any type of people, everyone from marketing people to artists, you know, to designers, to videographers, to, you know, business people, people that can do any type of function that you can think about for any type of business or really any type of you know, economic ecosystem. We need it. Um, so if, if you're like a content writer or you're, you do podcasts, you write anything that you do with communicating with other human beings, that's probably where I see we need the most help as an industry. Because like I said, we're very engineer heavy, very science heavy. And what we need to do is the next step to make this stuff really get out there in the mainstream is translated to you know, uh, real human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, people you know, translate the technology. And if you have those communication skills, I think on the margin, that's really has the, the highest payout for us as an industry. And I highly encourage you to check us out. I love it. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being on the program today. I really appreciate you coming on and explaining everything. And uh, I, I, I'm going to dig in more. This is great stuff. Please do. And thank you for having me, guys. It's really been a pleasure. Cynthia, I'm excited that next week it's your turn. Like I said, we're, you're going to be in the hot seat. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks for uh, participating, Rob. It's great having you. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get stuff done. We'll see you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.